Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. Today I want to welcome to you Katie Munro, who I've not actually met in real life, but she's a fellow author, so we both authored books, which we'll talk about in a bit, but she is a migraine specialist, and for many of you who know me or have listened to me, probably know that I experience migraines, and I have a particular interest in migraines, and migraines can get worse with hormone changes, so it seems very pertinent that we welcome Katie today. So thanks ever so much for joining me, Katie. Thank you for the invitation, Louise. I feel as if it's a, a great honour to be on your podcast and there's such an overlap between the conditions that we both see. And personally, I didn't start getting migraine until I was in my 40s and coming up to the perimenopause. Mm-hmm. So it was sorting out my own HRT that really helped. So it's it amazing, good. isn't it? Yeah. I think you, you learn so much in medicine when it's a lived-in experience and either yourself or a family member or a close friend. And there's nothing like having a migraine to be able to really sympathize with people who experience migraines isn't it I think Mm. I feel very guilty because I've given my migraine genetic predisposition to one of my children only one hopefully and my mother feels even more guilty and my grandmother if she was alive would have felt guilty too but (laughs) there's a lot of people when you say you have a migraine oh right it's a bit like saying I've got a headache and they're completely different aren't they Absolutely. Yeah. A migraine is not just a headache. It's kind of the mantra that we're always talking about. You know, there's so many other symptoms that you can get, brain fog, dizziness, nausea, vomiting. Um, Mm. So yeah, a migraine attack can be very debilitating or can be actually quite mild. And there's lots of myths and misconceptions out there about migraine. Yes. So we can talk about some of those. But before we start talking too much about migraine, tell me a bit about you and and your sort of role and where you work and how you got to there, if you don't mind, Katie. No, that's fine. I started off as a GP and I was a partner in a practice for many, many years. And then I developed migraine. And so that is where my interest came from as part of my searching for understanding of migraine I went as a patient to the National Migraine Centre and then as a doctor on a study day and got inspired by the centre and thought that would be a great place to work. The National Migraine Centre is a charity and we offer appointments to people with migraine but we also do a podcast called Heads Up and our, our mission really is to try and share really good quality information about migraine and how to it yourself and it's also just to raise awareness I think because it's one of the commonest and most debilitating conditions and really really misunderstood and and a lot of people will dismiss it with that awful phrase oh it's just a headache everybody gets it don't they and no everybody doesn't get them some people get them really really badly and how common are they Katie? Uh, One in seven people get them and three times as many women get them as men. So globally, they're a huge burden on individuals, on their families and their colleagues at work, and economically, you know, the absenteeism with people being off work with migraine, but also presenteeism where people go into work staggering in. Mm. Uh, I don't know about you, Louise, but I've definitely done surgeries where I've been sitting really, really still with I've got a headache, you know, and it really has an impact on all of us in society. Absolutely. But it's so underestimated. And it's actually, 
I feel quite sad actually hearing that it's a charity offering consultation because it should be routine care, shouldn't it? Not just in the NHS, but other health centres and health systems across the world because something that affects one in seven, yeah. it's not a weird genetic disorder where sometimes you do need to really seek a specialist. It can be very difficult. But one in seven, I mean, that's more common than hypertension, isn't it? And so yeah. as a GP or any sort of physician, actually, surely we should all know about migraines as a priority, shouldn't we, if it's that common? I absolutely agree. And that's one of our missions is to educate anybody who is looking after people with migraine. But if you think back over medical training, there's so much trying to be crammed in. Uh, so very little training about migraine is given generally. Also, when I'm seeing patients in my clinic, I have more time to listen to them mm. and speak to them and work out a plan together. And sometimes patients have a long and complicated history. And with the best will in the world, a GP with 10-minute consultation isn't going to have the time to go into it in that much detail. And I'm very aware that GPs have to be generalists mm. and know a little bit about everything. But the more that we can upskill everybody to understand migraine the better I think and I think it all starts with the patient as well actually doesn't it so as you say there's so much misinformation out there about headaches about migraines about what they are what the treatments are available what triggers are so I feel it's a bit like that with the menopause and one of the things I'm trying to do and certainly with the charity that I founded is about awareness and about empowerment actually so that we can take control of our bodies, either as a menopausal woman or as a woman with migraine. I am both, thankfully. <laughs> but I should be able to have as much information so then I can go to my doctor, nurse, healthcare provider and say, I have migraines because I have this, this, this and this. I have tried these treatments over the counter. And often people have spent fortunes, haven't they, buying things over the counters. But it's really impacting on me. And I read about this drug or that drug and can we talk about it? Because then actually it makes that consultation more focused and targeted. If I've done my homework and also if I, which I have done, actually, I've given up alcohol, I've given up caffeine, I don't eat chocolate. I'm very routine in the way that I eat. Many of people know that I like yoga and I did yoga this morning before I came to work, but I have to get up an hour earlier so I can eat, wait an hour and then I do yoga. All these people that can get up and do yoga, if I did that, I would get a migraine. Yeah. But if I do my homework, then it makes it easier for the doctor then, doesn't it? Because you haven't got to then say to me, well, Louise, how much alcohol do you drink? Or have you tried giving up chocolate or whatever? So it has to be a partnership, doesn't it, to really maximise, yeah. I think. I agree. I think I speak in my book about how to prepare for going to the doctor, what to do first, and but also about getting your team. I think migraine care needs to be mm -hmm. part of a team. You need to understand it yourself first. Yes. People who are around you need to understand it, so your partner or your children, you know, to understand that a lot of noise and a lot of bright lights are going to likely make you worse and support and help you with understanding and empathy. And the local pharmacist might be somebody who can give you good advice about helping yourself. But once it gets to the stage where your migraines are coming more frequently, then I think it's the time to seek specialist advice. Now, your GP may be a headache specialist. There are a few around, and we're trying to upskill even more. Mm -hmm. But it may be that you need to be referred on to a neurologist and a neurologist who has an interest in headaches and migraines because I think it's just such a variable condition. And there are lots of things that can be done, but 
sometimes people have been told, oh, well, you've, that's it, you know, you've got migraine, off you go, and dismissed. And I think mm. that's when I start to think, well, no, no, that's not the message we need to be giving patients. There's always something else we can find to help. Which is so important, isn't it? Because I think there's two really things, I suppose, mainly with migraine is about the actual migraines, how to get on top of those when you have them and you feel like your head's being ripped apart or you've got a sledgehammer in it. And then the other side is how to reduce the frequency of them as well. Yeah. Because if I was told I would only have one migraine a year and it would be really bad, that'd be fine. I wouldn't mind at all. But actually, it's when you have a three-day migraine that isn't nearly as severe as what I've just described, but actually it impacts me more. Yeah. So it's the combination. Of, and there are different treatments, are there, for both types, you know, for yeah. reducing the number and also helping the acute situation. Definitely. I tend to uh, talk to people about the acute phase and rescue treatment, if you like. And that's great. If you've got that sorted and you only get occasional migraine attacks, then you've got the power in your own hands to deal with it that really helps people's anxiety reduce because very very commonly migraine is associated with anxiety and sometimes Mm. depression but Mm. once you're getting more than about five attacks a month or if you can't find a recipe for rescuing you from that attack that's when we need to probably sooner than often happens be speaking to patients about preventative medications and those come on under three headings I would count lifestyle as preventative as well. But when you're talking about more medically based interventions, there are medications people take by mouth, there are injection techniques, and there are neuromodulation devices. So there's a wide range of things. Of course, the medications are usually what people are put onto first. And a lot of those are borrowed from other conditions like hypertension, high blood pressure or Mm. epilepsy or maybe antidepressant medications, which if there isn't an explanation about why those are still being used for migraine, then people get put off and worried, well, they've put me on an antidepressant. Why do I have that? And because they come with a bunch of side effects. So I think that having somebody who understands exactly about all of these different options and what the pros and cons are, helping you towards your own personalized plan is really, really helpful. Yeah, it's so important, actually, when you use medications off license, because a lot of medication, actually, we prescribe, especially to children, is off license, but it really scares people. And as you know, even HRT is only licensed for menopausal women who have not had a period for at least a year. We prescribe it for perimenopausal women because there's good evidence that the earlier you take it, you top up the missing hormones, improves future health. Testosterone isn't licensed for women in the UK at all, Mm. but we prescribe it for the regulated product. But some people think if it's off license, therefore it's dangerous. Yeah. It's quite different. They're still regulated medications you're giving these people, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, they're often licensed for other things, aren't they? And been widely used. Sometimes they've got licenses in other parts of the world, but we over here have dragged our heels for whatever reason. So yeah, I think some explanation about that is often necessary. And these things can be very, very useful uh, and effective. So let's go back to talking about what I only really think and talk about is perimenopause and menopause. So how is that associated with migraine? So we know that when girls start their periods, they often have fluctuating hormones and and migraine can manifest itself often then, can't it? And then it seems to go down. Pregnancy can be a time when migraines can worsen. Again, hormones change. And then, like you say, yourself in the 40s, you're 
during the perimenopause or menopause, there's a lot of women who have quite crippling migraines. They might start new or it might be an extension of worsen. So how does that, can you explain how that happens? Yeah, so we know that estrogen is the key hormone in migraine aggravation in women. So fluctuations in estrogen seem to be really important. So if you have migraine without aura, and aura being that sort of hour of flickering visual disturbances, usually that's the most common, then if you have migraine without that, it's the falling estrogen levels that seem to trigger worsening of migraine. And we see this on a monthly cycle. So when people are taking the pill for three weeks and coming off it for a week, they often get a migraine then. And in the perimenopause, of course, estrogen levels don't just smoothly decline to zero. They go no. up and down like a flipping roller coaster. So on the times for people with migraine without aura, as their estrogen levels fall, they can get more attacks. For people with migraine with aura, rising levels of estrogen seem to aggravate attacks. And mm -hmm. so that still can happen in the perimenopause. We can have some weeks where our estrogen's dipping down, other weeks where it's going back up again. And so it's a very common time. We see so many women who are getting worsening of attacks. And they seem to become more, sometimes more tricky to treat. The other thing we hear is that the migraine changes over a person's life. So they may come and say to me, well, I used to get these really bad headache attacks with vomiting. It was really intense. But as I'm getting into the perimenopause, I'm now getting more vertigo or dizziness with my migraines. And I don't get aura so much or I've started getting it. So mm. things are really changeable. And that makes people worried as well. Of course, if you add in the fact that in the perimenopause, women are often feeling that they can't sleep so well. They may have a much poor quality sleep. They may have other life stresses. They may be feeling, you know, a lot of emotional ups and downs. Anything that causes change irritates the brain of a person with migraine. And it's the combining of these changing things that seems to cause the problems. Yeah, and it's so common, but it's often people don't associate it. I mean, I think back and I must have missed hundreds if not thousands of women who have presented with migraines in their 40s and I've concentrated just on the migraine as a GP I you know would always ask if anything changed in their lifestyle or their job or any stresses but I didn't even think about hormones because no one taught me yeah. so I didn't know and now obviously it's so obvious but even in my mid-40s my migraines were getting so much worse and they always occur or they often occur at a weekend or on a holiday when I'm just relaxed it's quite classic isn't it yeah and I remember once we, we had this lovely holiday to Morocco we only went for four nights and three nights I was just in bed and I often get migraines when I'm away and I think it's also partly because it's quite hard to be so obsessed about food and routines when you're changing whatever but it was just so awful because I could see everyone else having a really nice time and I was just in bed thinking I just want my head to be cut off I feel so awful but if someone had just said to me Louise you're mid-40s do you think your hormones have changed do you think it could be related yeah firstly that would be very reassuring because it would stop me thinking have I got a brain tumor or something else causing my headaches but also it means that I could probably replace my estrogen and improve my migraines. Yes, I think there's a lot of myths and misunderstandings about hormones and mm. migraine. And, you know, we hear people saying, well, my GP wouldn't give me 
HRT because I've got migraine. Well, that's completely not true. So our goal is basically once you feel that you're in the perimenopause is to get a form of migraine treatment that smooths out those estrogen fluctuations and the transdermal route is the preferred route. Absolutely. So when we say transdermal, it means the estrogen is given through the skin, isn't it? As a patch down or there's a spray as well. So it goes straight into the bloodstream. So there's no risk of clot or stroke which there potentially is with a tablet estrogen, especially even the contraceptive pills with containing estrogen. But in the insert, it will still tell you there's a risk of clot and strokes. We need to, I mean, I've been approaching the MHRA several times and I know they're looking at changing it because it's very confusing actually for women, isn't it, when they look. But it's very safe because it goes straight into the bloodstream, doesn't it? So there is no increased risk with women who are, migraine even migraine with aura so that's a really useful treatment choice that can actually really help but we do find sometimes that I tend to actually start women with migraines very low dose estrogen yeah sometimes a patch and I get them to cut it in the quarter yeah and then I gradually increase it because sometimes it's not just the level it's a big change isn't absolutely yeah I think you're right and I think that's probably a good rule of thumb for anybody with migraine because people do tend to be sensitive to medications if they've got that irritable brain so going back to what I was saying you know we know that it's a genetic neurological condition the genes give you the vulnerability for your brain to be irritable when things change but it's Mm. the effect of changing things that irritates the brain and so going in with low doses and increasing gently and the same if you're coming off things I think as well sometimes people have been on medications for a while and they're wanting to stop them for whatever reason and doing things gently but also being patient and it's so hard to be patient isn't it when when you're suffering and someone says well in three months time well that's a long time isn't it that's a lot of work that you've given up or it's very difficult actually and I I really look at people that can go on these two five fasts and I think oh my goodness I would just my head would explode and in fact a really good friend of mine said to me the other day his mother was a nurse and said Marcus I'm going to give you some really good advice never ever marry someone who has migraines (laughs) and he he at the time thought that's a weird thing to say and actually I look at my poor husband and I and I get very pale just before I have a headache. My eyes just go and he just looks at me and says, right, go to bed. Uh And I I was just like, no, I'll be fine. No, go to bed. You know, and like you say, it affects the whole family. It really does. And it's really tedious because then I think, oh, so he's there again, got to look after the children. He's got to watch television on his own. And and it's boring. It's It's boring. boring. (laughs) It's boring boring for you, but it's boring for Everybody else, oh, another headache. You do hear this, don't you? And I think that what it's interesting what you were saying. You know, you said to him, oh, it'll be fine. I think when we're beginning to have a migraine attack, mm. often our brain doesn't work properly. And I certainly remember thinking, oh, oh, this will probably be fine. I won't bother taking anything, leaving it too late, by which time you've missed the boat. And that is a big problem, isn't it? And I think, and also sometimes you get these little warnings, like sometimes I crave I need to eat something Mm. or I get very thirsty and then like you say people are very sensitive to light or sound Mm. and then you suddenly think what's going on but because your brain isn't working and my daughter has migraine and she's been hoiked up by teachers actually thinking that she's on drugs because she says her words she trips up the stairs and they've a couple of times said to her you know come on Jessica where have you been and because she's 
18 and she doesn't actually she's like me she stopped drinking alcohol to help her migraines but they've not believed her or thought it was drugs and actually when she's better because you can't even make a sentence it's really hard sometimes and sometimes um kids also get yawning or adults sometimes Mm. get yawning you know that can get them into trouble in class too if they're not paying attention but I mean of course talking about kids we also know that kids often are missed because they get more abdominal migraine symptoms a lot of tummy pains so I love seeing kids with migraine not because they've got migraine but because I want to give them the tools at an early Mm. age to give them the understanding so they can go forward and get really good plans which is so important because like you say the amount of time that's lost with work yeah you know it could be seen as an easy excuse isn't it for I've got migraine and if you don't understand so I think this is why what you're doing with the charity is so important so that we're educating everyone as well because then in the workplace people can be more attuned and it might be ways of helping in the workplace we have someone that works with us who has migraines and she can't have the artificial lights on she knows it's triggered so we've changed the lighting in the room that she works and actually the other people quite like it as well it's quite calm in the room she works but it's acknowledging it and not thinking oh she's a bit weird because she has to sometimes wear dark glasses inside actually think goodness me what must it be like yeah this and there are some very simple reasonable adjustments you know it is especially chronic migraine if it's coming thick and fast then it is classed as a disability under the equality act Mm -hmm. and going and having a conversation with the employer about if it's possible to make reasonable adjustments and I list some of them in the book then that is something that can just really make such a difference. I had a patient who used to have to go for a presentation every week, a briefing presentation, and there was a PowerPoint. And she found that the glare of the PowerPoint gave her a migraine. So her employer said, well, instead of going and looking at the PowerPoint, here we are with the printed copies on paper. Simple, so simple. It was made such a difference to her. The Migraine Trust also have a very good work advocacy helpline. So if people are struggling at work, the thing that penalizes people is if they have multiple short absences with migraine. Often work sickness policies are weighted against people with migraine, Mm. but that needs a conversation with work. So well, can we not count absences which are migraine? Because you're going to keep getting them. Mm. Uh, They need to be understood. Really important. So you mentioned your book. Yes. Tell us about your book. What's it called, first of all? It's called, funnily enough, Managing Your Migraine. <laughs> Perfect. So, And it's a series, isn't it, by Penguin Life Experts? It is. And my goal was for it to be a very easily accessible source of evidence-based information for people to take control of their own migraine and make a plan, not necessarily avoiding doctors, but knowing as we were talking about earlier, how to best arm themselves to go and have a useful conversation with their doctor, knowing all of the variety of treatments that are available, but what they can do to help themselves as well. Mm. And have you, is this your first book? Have you written a book before? This is my first book. Yes, yes. So So it's a huge amount of work. Anyone listening, do not underestimate (laughs) how hard it is. And I think I mean, I've been involved in a few websites. In fact, we're just updating a couple of websites at the minute. But the good thing about a website is you can change it all the time. Yeah. And you see it and you think, no, I don't like that. Change the words, change this. You cannot do that with a book. And 
once it comes out that's it you cannot actually read I can't read it because I know I'm going to find things I that I want to change <laughs> well I've got my first hands on a paper copy this morning as it came through my door from the postman and flicked through it thinking oh, what did I write that I'm going to want to change exactly that but I'm quite hopeful that it is all evidence-based and it is all yes. practical and it, nothing greatly will be changing there are going to be some more medications coming soon and there are already some new and exciting treatments which are mm. beginning to be available on the nhs so but that yeah. can go in your second that edition can can't it? so, that's yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be available bookstores amazon yes, everywhere yeah. that you can get books audible kindle and right. yes yeah, amazon so if people and do find it useful it'd be really nice if they wrote a review for me on amazon yes. because it's about getting the word out there it's about educating people generally and the more people that know about it hopefully the more can be helped there's probably very few books on there and my very nice it's not something that i see as a bestseller you know in amazon when you go to health books i mean i often look at m for menopause and there's dreadfully few and then migraines i've not really come across anything that's been that useful i think quite a number of years ago there were a couple that were published through people that worked at the national migraine center Mm -hmm. and there were kind of tales of people's migraine in books but nothing quite like this as a sort of handbook for helping yourself so yeah I'm very delighted that it's out there you've got given the chance to write it brilliant so that should be something that everyone should be looking at and even like you say relatives or family members or even work colleagues of people as well so maybe it should be that every organization should buy one as well yeah to have a really good understanding as well and and I think this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about patients being empowered and I think it's really important that we share our decision making with patients. We have some new guidance that came out from NICE in June 2022, shared decision making guidance. And I think these are so crucial for everything we do as doctors that we listen to patients, we take understanding of what they want to get out of their consultation. And what they know already about their condition, their illness or whatever. But they have to do homework as well. Gone are the days where people just rock up and expect the doctor to do everything. And I'm not saying that I think doctors are lazy or whatever. But actually, we want to target and help people to the best of our ability, helping take into consideration what's going on. And you don't always know to ask the right questions, but if patients know more they can really help us and I think doing some homework you'll get the most out of your consultation because I don't know the figures Katie but you might the number of people that go repeated times with migraines to doctors must be huge oh yeah so if we could reduce that by half Mm. because patients were empowered by for example reading your book Mm. that would free up doctor's time Mm. which would then make it a win-win because we want to you know there are some consultations as a doctor you know are going to be more difficult than others and actually seeing a migraine you know oh my goodness it's not the same for everyone it might be quite difficult and if someone's come three or four times your treatment choices have reduced but it might be like you say as simple as asking well what triggers it at work you know do you know the triggers rather than treatment 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 and Certainly, I mean, I'm sure you have. We've seen a lot of people who have just been given 
painkillers, 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 and then they get headaches because of their painkillers. And yeah. it's just can be this vicious cycle. So we have to unpick it all and start almost over again. So I think even anyone listening who's had migraines for years should still be considering buying your book to start all over <laughs> yeah. again, maybe because things have changed. Definitely. Yeah. It's only when mine got worse, actually, I was so desperate to keep my job that I thought, right, how else can I improve? And it's, you're on this conveyor belt all the time, everyone's busy, but when you take a step back and think, right, what are my real triggers? What can I do? What about my lifestyle? I can't blame mm. anyone else mm. other than me if I've not eaten breakfast or I've yeah. not had a mid-afternoon snack or if I've drunk a cup of tea instead of some herbal tea. You know, it's me, but I have to have the information to know how to make those changes. I think that's absolutely right. I'm fully, fully on board with the shared decision making. I think that's mm. crucial because there's no point if a patient comes into me and I say, oh, just try this medication, then, you know, that's often what they've had before. And so I'm picking it right from the beginning and mm. saying, right, do you know what migraine is? Did you know it's a genetic neurological disease? Do you understand about the irritability and the change? Do you understand about the importance of just things like eating regularly, having low carbohydrate, low GI diet, having possibly a bedtime snack. A lot of women are waking with migraine in the morning mm. and simply putting in something to keep their brain fed overnight can be really helpful. Yes. So there are some very simple basic things that often people say, nobody's ever told me that before. Yeah. And they go off and make some changes themselves. And they're so happy. You know, I think people with migraine, and probably it's the same with uh, menopause or symptoms. They want information. They are searching. They will try anything. When you've got, a, you know, these horrible recurrent attacks, you really do want to have a range of options and find the right recipe for yourself. Mm. Well, it's so important. Such a great way to end is about having some control and learning. So before we end, I always ask for three, we're putting you on the spot here, Katie, three take-home tips about something that I'd like to ask you three reasons why someone should buy your book, either for them or for someone else. What were the three main reasons to buy your book? Well, first of all, is what we've been banging on about. It's about educating yourself and taking control and understanding what's going on. Secondly, I want everybody to realize that there is hope. You're not at the end of the line. There is almost invariably something else that you will not have tried. And thirdly, which is a bit of a passion of mine, there's a big chapter on children I want us to be looking at our children because it's genetic. So when I'm asking about family history, I'm saying, what about your descendants as well as your ancestors? Not just who have you got it from, but who might have got it from you. Uh, no blame attached. But if we can help children to be understood mm. better, then I think that's really, really worthwhile. So brilliant. So we'll put a link to the book at the end of the podcast notes and also a link to the charity as well. Um, so thank you so much for your great work, Katie, and thanks for joining me today. It's been really good. That's a great pleasure. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.